This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Jordan Yule, TYT contributor, all-star. Always good to have him on the program. First story of the day, hell of a thing. A man gets tased to death by the police because they assume He's committing a crime. He committed no crime. This is an update. He dies. The family now has filed suit. Put up the picture full mass. Very sad story and a couple of twists. In an update, a federal lawsuit has been filed on behalf of the family of Mr. Jawan Dallas. We covered this previously. A black man allegedly killed by officers in Mobile, Alabama. Prominent civil rights lawyers Ben Crump. Lee Merrick, Roderick Van Daniel, John Burris, and our dear friend Harry Daniels are all on this case. Let me give you the background. Two officers who are identified as John Doe's are also listed as defendants in the filing. The lawsuit obtained by Atlanta Black Star alleges that Dallas was an innocent man whose civil rights were violated. On that summer night due to the, quote, reckless and fraudulent conduct toward him when they shocked him multiple times after accosting him as he was sitting in his car. Remember, he committed no crime. On July 2nd, officers from the Mobile Police Department responded to a 911 call about a burglary. That's according to the lawsuit. The resident described the suspect in his yard at lot 33 as a black male wearing a hat with a red shirt or pants. The caller also noted that he was homeless and started walking down the road after um, at the trailer park. When the call was transferred to police dispatch, the caller merely said someone had been in his yard. That's it. However, the document alleges that the two responding officers decided to stop at lot 27 before going to lot 33. This is an important dynamic of the case I will explain in a moment and confronted Mr. Dallas, who was simply sitting inside his car. Another unidentified man who was white was standing nearby in the yard and the police started to grill him about the reported trespass. They both denied being involved, but the officers decided to ask for identification anyway. So let me provide the context as to why this is important to the suit and to the story itself. Lot 33 
is where you start your investigation. Okay, you don't have information. Lot 33 is where the 911 call generated. So you go to lot 33, you speak to the individual who provided the information, who called 911, you engage in very simple protocol of investigation. But instead, you stopped at lot 27. You did not even exercise the minimum protocol for investigative prowess. That's why this part is important in the suit. There's more. Per the lawsuit, the white male gave police his ID while Dallas was looking around the car, telling the officers that they were, quote, violating his civil rights. And they were. They absolutely were prompting an exchange between them. The officers demanded that Dallas exit the car and escorted him behind the vehicle. He attempted to flee, but was tackled by one of the officers. Uh, Before I go to the eyewitness on this, I want to remind everyone of something, okay? Just think about how perverted it is for someone to go into an industry that they hate. Let me explain. If you are in law enforcement, you would imagine you would love what? The law. If you are in education, let's say a professor like myself, you love education, academics. You actually are encouraged when a student gets it. You are thrilled when someone understands what you're teaching in that industry. However, when it comes to policing, Routinely, you see the officer being adverse to individuals who actually will cite law, enforce their rights, or at least assert them. There's more. An eyewitness watching the altercation and the interaction claimed that Dallas was stunned with a taser and assaulted by officers multiple times while on the ground while he cried for help. The 911 caller would would later explain to the police that Dallas was not the suspect and that their actions were excessive and unnecessary. The attorney says, according to the document, after Dallas was handcuffed, he started to complain that he could not breathe as a result of his asthma while he was lying on his back. It is alleged that he was told to shut up and was threatened by the officers. Quote, I can't breathe. I don't want to be George Floyd, Dallas said, referring to the man who was murdered by a Minneapolis police, a Minneapolis, Minnesota police officer, officers in 2020. First responders and other officers arrived at the scene. One black officer mentioned in the document lifted Dallas off his back to help his breathing, but that wasn't effective. Another demanded that he be placed on his stomach. But he had the same complaints. He was escorted to the back of a police car, evaluated by EMT, who allegedly failed to listen to his concerns also. He then lost consciousness. Jawan was pulled out of the patrol vehicle and was administered chest compression, the lawsuit said. Unfortunately, Jawan never regained consciousness. And according to the EMS records, he died on the scene. The complaint seeks $36 million in damages 
The attorneys have been calling for officials to release the body camera footage. If they won't be transparent, that means they don't want any accountability, Crump said. And so it builds greater mistrust. And that is absolutely correct. Think about the irony of this scene. The man literally dies in the hands of first responders. He is innocent. He committed no crime. He broke into no home. He committed no trespass. You get the EMTs, they are there. He's obviously in distress. His health is fading. He dies right there with them looking at him, not believing him. All right, we're gonna stay on top of this, obviously. Um, very little transparency from law enforcement on this one. Jordan, thoughts here? Yeah, this is yet another example of the culture problem we have in police departments all over the country. And you know, thankfully, people like Ben Crump are on it. I think we need to strive to create a world where Ben Crump doesn't have any work, where he can just spend the rest of his life right. on vacation, I think, because yeah. he is all over all of these cases, thankfully. But think about this, because of their mistake, their recklessness, their callousness, this person is dead. And this isn't the only instance like this. There are there are plenty. And what recourse do you have? Of course, you're going to be confused or disoriented if you are being wrongfully detained for something you didn't do. As far as you know, you are just living your life. But on that culture problem, Unrelated, but I think it informs the behavior that we see time and time again in the stories that you cover on this show. A Stockholm anti-fascist group this week obtained somehow the customer records for a, a Nazi merchandise website based in Sweden, and they released it. And now people are able to look who of, of the tens of thousands of orders, unfortunately, over the past several years, who, who are who are who's buying. Nazi merchandise. And would it surprise you? Just after a cursory search by myself and a few friends this week, and certainly not exhaustive, multiple police officers, current and retired, have showed up on this list. Wow. Would that shock any of you? So mm. it goes beyond just standard bias and prejudice. They are they are celebrating it. They are wearing merchandise privately, I assume, celebrating their white supremacist views and their this is how it manifests in their work. And that's um, that's a hell of a point. We're gonna follow up on that. And, and thank you for doing the due diligence. Um, they need to be exposed, obviously. All right, prosecutors, they said they will retry the detective who killed Brianna Taylor. It ended in a mistrial. I will explain this. Put up the picture of the late Brianna Taylor. Remember this? This happened in Kentucky. Federal prosecutors told a judge Wednesday they will retry the former Louisville police detective Brett Hankinson after a jury last month. They were deadlocked on two counts of the civil rights violations and use of excessive force stemming from his actions the night of that raid that led to her death. On November 16th, a, a, 16th, a jury deliberated for about 20 hours, over four days. They heard evidence, seven days of testimony. U.S. District Court Judge Rebecca Grady uh, Jennings declared a mistrial when the jury said they had, quote, concluded deliberating. 
and could not find a unanimous ruling among them. Put his picture up. Now, the jurors said that they were deadlocked on both charges. Now, this is Wednesday. A prosecutor told Judge Grady Jennings they want to retry Hankerson sooner rather than later. His attorneys said he may choose to add to his defense team or replace them altogether. One of his attorneys, Wes Matthews, is retiring. This is going to be my last rodeo, he said. A status hearing will be scheduled January 24th to decide whether Hankerson will change attorneys, among other issues. The judge set a tentative date, trial date for October. Quote, I think it needs to get retried as soon as possible. She said Grady Jennings had wanted to schedule the trial for July, but the attorneys had conflicts immediately after the November trial ended. Uh, attorney Lanita Baker, who represents Breonna Taylor's family, said to reporters that prosecutors told the family they were planning to retry the cop, all right, Hankinson. Quote, the family is disappointed, she told reporters. This is not the outcome they wanted, but we are here for the long game. We, we live for another day to fight for justice for Brianna. The charges stem from a botched raid, March 13th, 2020, of Taylor's home. This was in the middle of the night in which police officer, officers decided to bust down a door, serve a search warrant related to a drug dealer who lived 10 miles away. When this happened, um, her boyfriend was at the house, assumed somebody was trying to rob them, kill them, harm them. So he did what anyone would do to protect his significant other. He started shooting because he had a gun next to him. When police decided to bust into that home, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, Mr. Kenneth Walker, fired a shot that hit Sergeant John Mattingly in the leg. Walker has said he believed the couple were being robbed, and so he acted accordingly. Multiple Metro Police uh, police officers returned fire. It killed 26-year-old Taylor. Um, obviously, no drugs were found in the home. They still arrested him. They eventually dropped his charges. Her death, along with George Floyd's, resulted in months of protest, both local and nationally, over police brutality, racial discrimination, and the likes. The federal trial was about Hankinson firing 10 times. Now, this is a real difference in how you do policing, and he's going to admit to it. So he fired 10 times from outside of Taylor's apartment through a covered sliding glass door and blinded windows into her bedroom or window with three bullets flying into an adjacent apartment where Cody Etherton, Chesley, Chelsea Napper, and the five-year-old child live. Now, he was charged with that um, initially. Uh, wanton endangerment is what they called it, all right? So the irony was he's charged with wanton endangerment for other people, uh, but there initially was no charge for the cops. So March 2022, March 2022, a jury in a state criminal case found Hankinson not guilty on three counts of wanton endangerment stemming from the shots fired into a neighboring apartment during the raid. Jurors deliberated for about three hours in that case during the federal trial. LMPD officers testified that Hankinson's actions on the night of the Taylor raid were, quote, shocking 
unfathomably dangerous and stomach churning, the prosecution said in closing arguments. He fired blindly, spraying bullets through two covered windows, ripping, ripping through walls into a neighboring apartment where a family and child were sleeping, say a prosecutor, Michael Songer. With the US Department of Justice in his closing, his closing arguments, Hankinson failed to isolate a target and acknowledged not being able to see who he was firing at or where exactly the person was, putting multiple lives in danger. Defense attorney Stu Matthews told jurors have to put themselves in Hankinson's shoes at the time. Think about what he was seeing and experiencing as an officer was shot and dozens of bullets were fired after they burst into Taylor's home. He admitted he was mistaken. And the muzzle flashes were actually coming from Mattingly and Detective Cosgrove. And that the Walker and that Walker only fired one shot from his handgun at police. Quote, was I wrong that Mr. Walker shot more than one? I know that now. I fired to stop the threat, sir, end quote, okay? So what do we have here? He literally is shooting based on his own narrative because of the shots of the other cops, you understand? So he's shooting saying, "Oh, I can see the person shooting at us. And what he's looking at literally is the shooting that other cops are doing toward two innocent people. And his response is, hey, listen, I thought I was doing the right thing here, all right? Get over it. It's insane. I'm glad the prosecutors are going to try this case again. Jordan, you don't see this uh, typically uh, in cases like this, right? Where a prosecutor immediately says they are going to retry a cop of all people, uh, but this prosecutor did. Yeah, thankfully. We'll see how it goes. You know, I I struggle to get excited about these types of cases because it just seems like justice is few and far between. But another detail about that case that I just really want to stress is that whole search warrant was based on a lie. That's right. And the cop pleaded the, the cop pleaded guilty to falsifying evidence to justify that warrant, saying that a postal inspector told them that Brianna Taylor was receiving packages of drugs on behalf of this drug dealer, which was not true. And then you just use a battering ram to go in. Like, we have to have a serious conversation about how the police operates because there's, they're reckless, they're sloppy, they're bad at their job, they're violent, they're indiscriminate with that violence. And this is the result. Someone who had nothing to do with any illegality is dead. Thank, I mean, I wouldn't say thankfully, but it, the silver lining is her death and George Floyd's death, unfortunately, around the same time sparked an international conversation and an uprising that helped wake a lot of people up about police brutality. And there's still a lot of work to do, but people learned in that moment, people changed how they, they see the police in that moment. And I hope they continue putting in the work and continue learning so we don't have to deal with these stories anymore. That's right, very well said. We will bring updates as soon as that trial date is official, all right? Okay, um, once again, some individuals immature following likely in the footsteps of their parents um, decided to do this. Here it is. 
didn't I I'm just not say racist, it? everyone. I just like. I'm not racist. I would say f and f word. I'm not racist, everyone. I like black people. I hate my pookie's black. <laughs> my other pookie's white. <laughs> he's not a what? He's not a <laughs> He's not a <laughs> He ain't no negro. <laughs> he's not a frog one. No. I'm sure you and your families are Happy I did not show you pictures. Reason I'm not showing you pictures is because I believe you're young enough to be redeemed. And this would be a scar against you that would be difficult to live down. These are the moments when the very immature can mature. When lessons that have been handed down likely from generation to generation, there can be a stopgap, a pivot. This is your opportunity. Let's put up the picture of the superintendent first. Now, he's not a minor, he's an adult. Fair game with him. This is the second racist video to surface online weeks after families in a predominantly white town in Colorado demanded a local school district do more to stop and to penalize students captured in a prior video wishing death on black people. The local NAACP is now calling for those behind the videos and other guardians to step up, apologize, and volunteer doing racial equity work. That's called mentorship. Cherry Creek School Superintendent Chris Smith, speaking at a Board of Education meeting on Monday, December 11th, addressed the video saying, quote, we will not tolerate hate in the Cherry Creek School District. Well, what else? He emphasized the need for parents, teachers, principals, and students to actively promote accountability for instances of racist conduct after the most recent video was shared on social media at the end of November. Quote, but I also ask us as adults to hold ourselves accountable because students are watching us as well. What we say and what we do, uh, he continued, keep his picture up, put his picture back up. Um, the only thing you have done, Mr. Superintendent, is what anyone else could have done, not in your position. You said people need to be more accountable, parents need to be more responsible, we don't tolerate hate. You're actually in a position to make policy, to create training opportunities, develop mentorship. 
enhance diversity and inclusion training. You can do that, right? According to a statement made on Facebook by the Rocky Mountain NAACP, this newest video had two intoxicated young women, girls, displaying blatant disregard of black people by repeatedly using the N-word, while another films. It's disheartening. This is the latest and third incident in less than two months. As CBS News Colorado reports in September, younger students on video on a school bus, while one student, their one student called black students cotton pickers, the N-word, and said he hated their skin color and how they talk. He hated that too. And then in early November, another set of students created so-called N-word pass cards and passed them around the school. Okay, you see it there. The students in both videos are reportedly enrolled in middle schools within the district. The first video showcased students from West Middle School, which is almost 71% white, while the second video indicated that the students involved attend campus middle school, which is almost 60% white. The Rocky Mountain NAACP says that the toxic culture of racism in the area, quote, has gone too far. We are calling for the parents of these young people to come meet with Rocky Mountain NAACP. We will not tolerate this behavior, and it is time for the parents to come forward to apologize by action and by word. And I want to say this for clarity. The mere fact that the NAACP has to ask them to talk to them, meet with them, commune with them, work with them is already an ale. It's a loss. Because in a circumstance like this, when you have authentic people who may have made a mistake or their children made a mistake, they should be knocking at the door of the NAACP themselves. They should want the cultured experiences necessary for their children not to end up on indisputable. They should want this. NAACP is doing them a favor by even providing the opportunity for remedy, the opportunity for reconciliation, a resurrection of your reputation. They are offering you that. The civil rights organization hopes that the parents and young people not only meet with them, but volunteer with them to move forward their fight towards equity. A spokesperson for the local NAACP is still trying to get in touch with the families to press for an apology. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. I think your point at the beginning was an important one. These are young people, even though they're kids or young, they're almost at a young adult level. Their brains are still developing, doesn't justify what they did. But I think that point at the end about how they can't reach the parents, the NAACP can't reach the parents, shows this behavior might be learned. Why is it so difficult? For the NAACP to reach these families, right? If they were ashamed of what their kids did, you'd think they would want to help get their kids help. So that's troubling. It's a troubling development, but the carelessness with which they were throwing these words around and the multiple instances in this community underscore this like racist comfort that white communities experience and just freely demonstrate. It's it's really alarming. I I also want to stress. The push for uh, equity and diversity 
training and volunteer opportunities. Think about that in like a national context in our discourse around fighting racism. How the right, especially the organized right, responds to those types of initiatives. We see them here as, hey, don't say the N-word. And how that's framed in national political discourse is these same initiatives, which we know are really about creating a more equitable world, or basically uh, you know, laundering the great replacement white nationalist conspiracy theory. And they're trying to fight them at every possible level in the corporate world and the education system. Because deep down, they know what it's about. It's about creating an equitable world, but they want to scare white people into opposing it so they can continue to maintain this white supremacist system that they have. They want to preserve that. That's right. And they don't get rid of the programs because they don't work. They get rid of the programs because sometimes they do. All right. All right. We got more on the other side. Indisputable. Stick and stay. All right. Welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. We got a lot of them. And I appreciate everybody. All right. Um, Kropotkin fanboy. With the new trial for the oops wrong address out of control murder cop, a tiny bit of hope for this viciously, murderously, POC hating ish hole of an empire. I mean, America. Yeah. Scott Smith, and serving the public, but they seem to have disdain for the public. Yeah. Um, the Jack, thank you so much for that. Um, Doc, cops don't think they're above the law, they believe they are the law. Yeah. And thank you, James Thompson, James Gifted, Yana Cole, E. King Dragon, Shy Whitrow, and Mixed Lee, the Aztec Dragon, Rachel Banning, Mike Nice, Nate underscore DJ was all right. So Snack Panther, Snack underscore Panther, gifted those last two. Oh, we got three, and Laura TX was gifted as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining the uh, Truth Train. All right, we got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen Wood. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Now you want to yell at me? I'm not going to yell at you. I just need you to No, really. Right here. You didn't see it. So you can just stop. I'm not here to fight with you. You guys are. Go. Oh, no. That's not, no. You know, I don't want to know what I'm going to do. What's with this liberal right here with the camera? Get well, your horses and go. Because you're the one I that's mouthing up. I don't yelled at me. No, I asked you to down. I asked you to slow down. No, you didn't. You have earbuds. You can play your game you, now. You have on. earbuds on. Well, why do you think I'm doing that? No, you can go. We're done talking. I'm done talking. Well, then go. Put your earbuds. Put your earbuds back in your ears so you can't hear that I was yelling for you to slow down. You know what? I've had it with you people. Every time we're out, we get heat. We're told we're not allowed. What are we doing in here? And all this. That's give a your horses. We're here first or not? Wow. This park is for mountain bikes too. That's it. And you at somebody else. And you're not giving us a talk. You're not giving us a chance. It is. 
This is the only guy I've ever come across. You the camera, the one that started it all? No. You didn't listen to me. I was trying to be kind. If I see that camera or me on anything around, on what's going on in Cherry? What you gonna do, Mel Karen? You, you're all indisputable. There's a camera that recorded you. They did not take your threat seriously, obviously. Put up the picture full mass. Okay. The irony is, he thought he was being yelled at. He was not really being yelled at. So according to a poster, this incident occurred at Bogart Regional Park in Cherry Hills, California. This post said online, quote, not my post, but lives near me. Horses have the right of way. She heard him coming and yelled, Ahead to slow down horses. Kind of like when I'm cycling. I also yell when I'm coming up on hikers. It's pretty common courtesy. He did not hear her or hear her clearly because he has headphones in. And then you saw what you saw. All right, hell of a thing. Um, the guy just overreacted and his carinicity came out. And then he decided to blame someone for being um, liberal, which I don't know how that became a bad thing. Or are you able to identify a liberal based on the fact they're recording someone who's being a jerk like yourself, sir? Uh, all right, uh, Jordan, thoughts here. What a, what a loser. That's all I can think about. Just. Uh, Unnecessarily aggressive. Like you're, if you're mountain biking, you can't just go off the trail and around them a little bit. You have to stay on the on the walking trail in your bike. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You pick the wrong hobby. If you're, yeah. if you're, if you're, if you're, too, if you're too inconvenienced to just go off the dirt slightly to go around horses. You know how difficult it is to move multiple horses. They're skittish. They're, they're slow when they're trotting. They're big. They're oafish. <laughs> you just can't go around them. Losing your mind like that is so embarrassing. Like, yeah. And then threatening her because he realized halfway through, oh, no, I don't want this video to go anywhere. Well, it did. Congrats. Yeah, man. Um, hell, he may be in the top 10 uh, Karens of the year. That is. <laughs> All right. Um, we have an update. Finally, we got a conviction. Put it up for a mask. White female decided to chase a black male down, an older black male, and she killed him. We covered this right here on Indisputable because we believed that it was taking too long for the case to go to trial. So we covered it not too long ago. Here's your update. Hannah Payne, 25, was convicted of chasing down and shooting Mr. Kenneth Herring, 62 years of age. She faced charges of malice murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. She was found guilty on every single count. This story has some twists and turns. Let me take you to Clayton County, Georgia. On May 7th, 2019, police say Hannah Payne followed Mr. Herring's pickup truck 
after seeing him hit another car. That's according to the official report. Ms. Payne claimed that Mr. Herring was trying to leave the scene of the crash. Now remember, this has nothing to do with her. So she decided to tell him, police say Payne then blocked Mr. Herring with her Jeep. Blocked Mr. Herring with her Jeep. Last week, a courtroom heard how she told 911 dispatchers that the victim was intoxicated when he was not. In a 911 call played for the jury on December 7th, the dispatcher asked Payne if she got Herring's tag number. Local station WAGA reported, quote, no, but I'm catching up to him right now, Herring said in the audio. Okay, ma'am, we actually do not want you to chase him. We just want you to be safe, the dispatcher replied. In the recording, she claimed that Mr. Herring was, quote, drunk, and he was going to cause another accident. She was able to get the tag number, but continued to tell him, even though the 911 operator said don't. Prosecutors argued that Herring was experiencing a medical issue, which bystanders claim was like diabetic shock. 11 Alive reported. Medical needles were also found in the man's vehicle, according to um, reports. And when we first covered this story, um, we received information, obviously, from the family that he was likely in some type of medical distress, given his character and also his medical condition. This was not him trying to harm someone and leave. He was simply experiencing a medical crisis that this woman misinterpreted, maybe intentionally so, all right? Witness, Ashley Jackson said Miss, uh, said Miss Payne was weaving in and out of traffic to get close to Mr. Herring's vehicle before catching up with him and provoking an altercation. So she puts other drivers in danger, trying to track down a 62-year-old man to kill him. Quote, I saw her at the driver's side door of the vehicle, yelling obscenities for the man to get out the car. It looks like she was trying to fight him through the window, Jackson said. After she pulled the gun, she shot him and said, now you need an ambulance. The witness added. Her lawyer says Payne was acting as a good Samaritan and shot him in self-defense, according to WSB-TV. Response from the family after he was found not guilty. Herring's family says she got what she deserved, especially after blaming their 62-year-old loved one for pulling the trigger and killing himself with her gun, which was an initial narrative. I think it's selfish to blame the victim when you were the aggressor. Herring's sister, uh, Vicki Herring, explained outside the court. Keith Herring says he would never forget getting the call his brother had been shot. It will forever be ingrained in my heart and in my mind, he said. We got a conviction, convicted on the right charges, took some time. According to the court, when we first brought the story back up, on the reason for the delay was due to COVID, all right? So that created a delay in the case. The NAACP has been involved in this case. The Clayton County NAACP has been involved. Madam President, as we call her, great 
great, great advocacy, continuing to keep this story alive. She's the one that brought it back to my attention when we updated the story the last time. Uh, Jordan, it, it took a lot, uh, and there was a lot of ambiguity about um, her charges in the beginning and the bomb being set. It, it took a community and a movement to get the right charges affixed to this woman and get a prosecution um, nailed this type, but she has now been convicted. Thoughts? Yeah, it's unfortunate that it took this long, but it does seem like justice has been served. They'll never bring back their loved one for that family, the victim's family, the herrings, which is terrible. And it's it's always bittersweet when you have moments like this. Yeah. It's a rarity when someone who, you know, seems like they were racially motivated. How else do you assume malintent by a 60-some-year-old man? I mean, I can't imagine the scenario would be the same if it was a 60-something-year-old white man. Right. You know, I just, you see that in their behavior. You see the disproportionate response from people. This person is a lunatic chasing someone down in their car, putting everyone else on the road in danger. And then shooting them and taunting him after shooting him, just psychotic behavior. And I, like I said, the family, I hope they can find peace at some point. But even though we have justice in the courtroom, it'll never fully you know, restore their family. Yeah, that's right. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of good questions here. I like this one. Next TYT reporter. Can we get a vote for Karen of the Year? We're gonna have to do it. You put it in the universe, we have to do it now. All right. So we'll get on top of that. I think I think that's the equitable way to get this done. So nobody can say that anybody utilized undue influence in the selection this year of Karen of the Year. All right? Okay. Hell of a thing. The police. They decide to um, choke a man, hog tie him, and um, you know, well, kill him. And then they said, but it's really his fault that he died. Put up the picture for a mask. Those cops, um, let's put up their real picture with the um, with the nice orange detailed suit. There you go. Let's keep that one up. In an update. The attorneys for three officers in Washington state who are accused of killing Mr. Manuel Ellis after shocking, choking, hog tying, and doing other things to him while in police custody are purporting. The lawyers are saying that the victim died because of drugs. Yeah, that's it, drugs, not excessive force. Manuel Ellis, 33, died in police custody March 3rd, 2020. In Tacoma, Washington, after an encounter with the police in which he was beaten and had a spit mask placed over his head. The police reportedly stopped him because he allegedly harassed a woman on the street, but multiple witnesses disputed that account and said police approached him unprovoked. During that detainment, a nearby home's doorbell security camera caught Ellis repeatedly telling the officers he could not breathe. See the Pattern here. His death occurred three months before George Floyd's, which sparked global demonstrations to end violence in police practices. The officers who are standing trial for the death are Christopher Burbank, Matthew Collins, 
and Timothy Rankin. Burbank and Collins were charged with second degree murder and first degree manslaughter. Rankin only faces a manslaughter charge in connection to the death. The lawyers have been in court for nine weeks working to distance the officers from any indication that they were responsible for the death. Instead, they're painting the cause of death as a drug-induced demise. Burbank's lawyer, Wayne Frick, argued that Ellis's addiction to methamphetamine spurred on violent and paranoid behavior that warranted the officer's actions. Authorities also put forth the claim that excited delirium might have contributed to Ellis's death. It's defined as a syndrome that's typically associated with drug use and is often linked to in custody deaths, according to Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. However, the American Medical Association or the American Psychiatric Association, they don't recognize the syndrome at all. Quote, this is a situation where he created his own death, the attorney said during closing arguments. It was his behavior that forced the officers to use force against him. Because he created a situation that required them to act. However, audio and video clips that special prosecutor Patty Eakes played during the trial revealed that the officer's actions directly contradicted their witness testimony. Collins said that Ellis lifted him off the ground and threw him in the street like a child, even though witnesses at the scene never recalled that happening. And it's not seen on the videos. Burbank also testified that Ellis was assaultive and used wild strikes during the entire encounter. But video shows Collins had Ellis on his back and had placed him in a chokehold. His hands were also in a surrender type position in the air, according to Eeks. The officer's lawyers argue the videos and the testimonies of witnesses are flawed. Basically, they're saying fake news. No one wanted him to die, but ultimately he died. And that's sad, the attorney said. We don't compound that tragedy by convicting innocent people of these charges, end quote. Closing arguments are expected to wrap up Wednesday to make way for jury deliberations. Ellis's family was already awarded $4 million by the Pierce County Council after the medical examiner ruled the death a homicide, which means a person, a human being, a homo sapien did it. That's what that means. The medical examiner noted that physical restraint and the spit mask were major contributors to Ellis' death. Methamphetamine intoxication and heart disease were noted as lesser contributing factors. This is a very simple dynamic and really, really the admission is already here. They've admitted to it. They, they said they did these physical things against him. They are outside of the protocol of law enforcement. They are criminal. It contradicted not only their training, but also their submitted statements on the record. That's violation of of office easily, okay? So here's the rub. The attorney is not really arguing methamphetamine as a way to say the meth is what killed him. I know that's the presentation of the argument. I need you to understand what he's trying to really do. He's making this argument because he wants to devalue the life of the victim. He wants to dehumanize the victim and humanize the officers. This is the strategy. It's not really a credible defense. He knows that it's called but for doctrine, which simply means, okay, yes, a lot of people 
have certain conditions, all right? But for this interaction, if the interaction did not take place, he's alive. But the interaction did take place. It was an illegal interaction and he's dead. So the, the attorney knows this. So he's trying to devalue the life of the victim um, and saying that the jury should let the officers go. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. It's always someone else's fault. It's never their fault. It's they tried the same type of stuff with George Floyd. Oh, he was on drugs and the drugs killed him. No, no, the knee on his neck killed him. Here, it's the abuse, it's the tasing, it's hog tying, it's beating. That's what killed this man. And they just keep trying this. Cops across the country keep trying this. They kill someone. Oh, well, it's their fault. Oh, well, there's that. We didn't want him to die. We just wanted to beat them to, you know, an inch of their life. And until we have really harsh penalties for any single cop who does this kind of stuff, and we don't get into these long protracted legal battles that further distress victims surviving families, very few, very little things are going to change. Like this is this is absurd. It seems patently obvious what happened here just by reading brief details of the case. And the fact that they're lying, trying to shift blame just shows how little they actually care. How little, how how deeply unserious they are about their job or any sort of accountability. These people shouldn't be in law enforcement. They should be in like deep psychiatric counseling. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. And that's why you have to get to a place of giving officers a psychological evaluation once a year, once every six months, because the officer you hire on day one may not be the same cop on day 365. And it actually helps law enforcement to have policies like this, because if there's something, if there's a break somewhere, you may be able to address it in time before it gets to a place of insane deprivation of anything we understand as decent. All right, this is a breaking story. So a school teacher threatened to basically cut the head off of one of his students because the student says something about a flag. Put it up full mass here. Hell of a thing, this happened in Georgia. Benjamin Reese, a seventh grade social science teacher at Warner Robins Middle School is accused of threatening to behead a student after she made a comment about his Israeli flag. According to the incident, the report says at around 3.30 PM, we're talking about the end of the school day, December 7th, a deputy was on duty where he was informed Reese threatened a child's life. It happened in the seventh grade technical hallway when the students were on their way back to their eighth grade hallway. The report says a student wanted to talk to Reese about the Israeli flag in his classroom and told him that she found it offensive. This is a child. Reese asked her if it had anything to do with Judaism. She wanted to know why it was hanging there. And Reese told the student he was Jewish and have family members who still lived in Israel. It's a great opportunity to provide education, right? Historical context, etc. The student says she found the flag offensive due to Israelis killing Palestinians. Once again, 
This is a student opening the door for education. Reese then told the student she was being anti-Semitic, okay? Which the student likely had absolutely no context for, did not understand. After that, multiple witnesses independently said they heard Reese say he would kick her effing A word. Slit her GD throat and drag her a word outside and then cut her head off. A faculty member says she heard Reese say, You don't make an anti Semitic comment like that to a Jew. The witness says the student responded negatively to Reese, but was not yelling. The witness says the students left the classroom, but Reese followed them down the hallway. The same witness says Reese was later seen returning to his classroom, cursing extremely loud. Now, it's actually against the law to use profanity in front of children in the state of Georgia. It's an arrestable offense, believe it or not. The same witness says Reese was later seen returning to his classroom, cursing. The witness says he was yelling. That he, quote, should not be spoken to like that because he is a Jew. He went on saying, I would drag her in the parking lot, slit her effing throat, and kill her, end quote. A deputy at the school interviewed multiple witnesses, and they said they heard Reese make similar statements. They included other teachers, it included staff members, it included students. Students who were in class for tutoring, some were in school because they were there for after school detention. The irony of that, they are on punishment watching this guy act this way, who's a school teacher. Reese was arrested on December 8th. A judge said Reese is bonded $2,500 for the terroristic threat charge and $5,000 for the charge of cruelty to children. Uh, Reese has bonded out. What is this? What is this? As a school teacher, you are called to be professional under all circumstances. These are words. If the young person has some level of misunderstanding, you're a school teacher. You know, inquiry is one of the most beautiful opportunities for education. But instead, you gave that child and the children around you another type of education, one that harm doesn't help. Um, to threaten to eliminate the life of a child because you disagree with their position, because you may not like how they presented a particular point of view, um, shows me that, sir, you should not have been in that classroom in the first place. I have no idea what made you think it was okay to threaten children as you are alleged to have done. I am glad that nobody was hurt, at least physically. But believe me, you created some psychological trauma that may not be realized until later in life. Jordan, thoughts here? I mean, beyond the obvious points about this person not belonging anywhere near a classroom and not being fit to educate young people, I mean, think about how people relate to war and what it does to them. Mm -hmm. That, that, Someone pointing out that this government 
not Jewish people, this government is responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of people already because of how they responded to October 7th. That that elicited, first of all, accusations of anti-Semitism. No, criticizing the Israeli government is not inherently anti-Semitic. Right. And that it responded with such violent threats shows how unhealthy people's relationship and understanding of war is. That it elicits that sort of violence really shows how there's a cycle of violence around war. And people take on this kind of noble quest of valor and bravery and courage, you know, that they didn't participate in, they didn't earn, they didn't do anything to warrant. Just by being a bystander and picking their side, they're trying to adopt all of these virtues that people project onto war. When in reality, when you really get down into it with somebody who has seen it, who's been up close, who's been in it, or has covered it on the ground, they will tell you it is the absolute worst aspects of humanity all rolled up into one. Yeah. From you know the smell to the horror, the trauma, the violence. None of it is noble. None of it is is great. We get this pristine, sanitized image of war in our media, and people see it as something brave and, and valorous. But in reality, it is traumatizing. It is awful, and people relate to it only through media. They've been heavily propagandized, and unfortunately, it results in people overreacting for in some aspects, trying to justify further war and total disregard for the victims. And then weird things like this. It's just a deeply, deeply, deeply evil rot in our society. Yeah. And listen, there's absolutely no ambiguity about any witness. Everybody says this is what this man did. And he did it multiple times. And he did it against children. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Lot of show left. Let me read a couple of comments. Jack, thank you for that. It says excited delirium is as much BS as cops falling, um, falling out on fentanyl. Uh, yeah, and Twitch. Yep, love eighteen white girl. A lynch mob hog tied and assaults a man, then blamed him. Sounds like part of the uh, for the course. No, that's right. All right, um, this is an update. So. The officer who decided to arrest a 10-year-old child um, has now been fired. Let me give you the background. I'll put it up for a mass. Uh, this was such a sad, sad story. In Mississippi, a 10-year-old child named Quantavius was sentenced Tuesday in youth court to three months probation. A decision the child's attorney says was influenced by race after the child was arrested for relieving himself behind his mother's car. All right, he's a child. The third grader was arrested by the Senatobia Police Department, August 10th. After a police officer saw the child um, relieving himself outside next to his mother's car, when the woman was inside an attorney's office, okay? According to attorney Carlos Moore, given the circumstances, any child would have done the same thing. Noting as well that there was no public restroom available or continued. Quote, he did what any reasonable person would do. 
He urinated next to the car behind the door, not exposing himself to anyone. He would not have been arrested, prosecuted, or sentenced if he was any other color race besides black. Now, remember, we're talking about a child, child, okay? There's more. Moore said he is baffled that an arrest was made, that prosecutors then pursued the case, and that a youth judge this week oversaw a sentence that included probation and requires Quantavius to write a two-page report about Kobe Bryant. We are not going to appeal. He will not have a criminal record. This is probation, and he is a fan of Kobe Bryant. So he doesn't mind writing the two-page report, Moore said. Quintavis was charged in youth court with being a child in need of supervision, Moore said. The child is required to check in with the probation officer once a month for three months, Moore said, but still the principle of it. He should not have to do anything. He should be enjoying his Christmas holiday like other kids, end quote. Put up the family. So you have Miss Latanya Eason on the right, the child's mother said Wednesday. She's not sure if her son's skin color influences arrest and the decisions made in youth court, but she said her son has been mistreated every step of the way. The arrest has also resulted in her son not trusting the police and now being scared, scared of them because of their own actions. Uh, the police chief, Richard Chandler, appeared to comment on the child's arrest in August. It was a statement posted on the department's Facebook page, read in part, quote, several of our officers were recently involved in an incident that involved a 10-year-old juvenile. The officer's decision violated our written policy and went against our prior training on how to deal with these situations. Okay, Chandler added that one of the officers was no longer employed at the department and the other would be disciplined and the department would have mandatory juvenile training just as we do every year. You, you, sir, you don't think, put his picture back up. Sir, you don't think they knew the damn training? You do the training every year. You mean out of all of those police officers who are investigators, by the way, all of those investigators did not remember the training about how to handle children. All of them forgot it. Issa said on the day of her son's arrest that while officers chose not to handcuff him, they put him in a jail cell. She recalled the responding officer being close to letting the child go with a warning after speaking with her. The officer told her she handled it like a mom. Just make sure it doesn't happen again. However, several more officers showed up including a lieutenant who made the courageous decision to arrest a 10-year-old for peeing. These are damn cowards. Moore said he plans to file a federal lawsuit next month against the city and against the arresting officer. The lawsuit would claim that during the arrest, the child's rights were violated under the Fourth Amendment, which protects against unreasonable searches and seizures. We're talking about a child having a major civil rights constitutional case in front of him now. Oh, Don't worry, he's going to write about Kobe Bryant. That's gonna make it better. Not one entity in this entire system paused for a moment and said, what are we doing? What the hell are we doing? The, the cop who arrested him, he's fired because what he did was wrong. How does a prosecutor then say what he did is right? How does a judge, a youth judge, a juvenile judge, then 
say what that cop did was right and give this young man three months? Issa said justice in our eyes would mean that no other child would have to go through something similar. Quote, I want to make sure this doesn't happen again, she said, no matter the color or who you are, no child, no child, regardless of color, she says, should have to go through that. And I completely concur. We're going to follow the story. I'm looking forward to reviewing the lawsuit and also getting these cops under deposition. All right, Jordan, thoughts here? Just you stunned me with several officers on the yeah. scene for a 10 year old relieving himself. Like, give me a break. Yep. So, out of curiosity, I, I looked up this town in Mississippi. It's a population of 7,550. And they have more police officers, uh, sorry, they have more funding for that police department in a town of 7,550 than 73% of police departments nationwide. What? Think about that. Think about wow. the use of resources that they're they're allocating here. Anything else they could be doing to improve the city, to improve, hmm. you know, tree canopy, to improve lighting, to improve roadways, fixing potholes, whatever, whatever you want to do. They're pumping money into the police department more than 73% of districts or precincts in the country. And this is what it looks like. Multiple officers responding to a 10-year-old going to the bathroom. Like this, what a what a absolute waste. I almost cursed. I was so yeah. angry about it. But good Lord, I, I, I hope this family finds justice. Ridiculous. Yeah. We're going to stay on top of it. Obviously, uh, it's sadistic what these officers did um, and what the system did after that. Okay. Um, hell of a thing, a black scientist, she gets into an accident, all right? It's unfortunate, she has neurological damage, and it also claimed the life of a child. Well, Abbott Laboratory, uh, they called her angry black woman, according to the narrative. Um, let's do this, we're gonna put up the company full mass. Is Miko Thompson, a black scientist based in Louisiana, is suing her employer, Abbott Laboratories. For not accommodating her remote work request following a serious car crash that left her neurologically disabled and claimed the life of her child. The complaint alleges that the company discriminated against her based on the race, her race and disability after the impact of an accident Thompson was involved in with an 18 wheeler. This happened in November 2021 that resulted in the death of her child. The following year, Thompson began seeing a neurologist after suffering chronic, debilitating headaches, the suit states. Her doctor diagnosed her with a concussion without loss of consciousness, okay? Uh, and the occipitoneuritis, I know I said that wrong, close enough, and recommended her employer that she needed to work from home, noting the damage and those work accommodations would most benefit Ms. Thompson given her state. She did not, or she would have, excuse me, access to therapy and medication required to treat a diagnosed neurological disability. It's a disability, it's medically diagnosed. It's signed off by the doctor. She works in science. Everybody should understand because they work in the same industry, right? Nope, instead, Abbott Laboratories made an alternative offer. They told Thompson she could work reduced hours as a reasonable means of accommodation, even though cutting her work hours would have terminated her medical insurance. 
As a basis for the alternative offer, Abbott stated that a certifying scientist simply cannot perform the essential job duties remotely. However, the suit says that two other certifying scientists, Thompson works with, both are remote employees. The difference between Thompson and the two colleagues is that they don't have disabilities and they are in fact white. Court documents state that Thompson was forced to increase her hours because Abbott refused to accommodate her, her remote work request to maintain her medical insurance so that she could continue receiving treatment for her disability. After Thompson complained to Abbott's Office of Ethics and Compliance, the site director reportedly made remarks about, quote, angry black women who are certifying scientists. This gave Thompson misgivings about whether a fair and impartial investigation was conducted. Now, Thompson is going after Abbott, alleging the company discriminated against her racially and in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I agree. She seeks damages for severe emotional distress and mental anguish, a trial by jury, and attorney's fees alongside other demands. I'll put them up. Buck stops with you, fella. You're the chairman of the board. Robert B. Ford is Abbott's chairman and chief executive officer. Um, yeah. So obviously, uh, this is a horrible way to deal with such an extreme and traumatic event. The woman has been through enough. And you take her through this. Well, I hope there's a remedy inside of the court because why in the hell would you ever treat a person who works for you this way? Jordan, thoughts on this? Yeah, there are a few factors here. First, you could see the racial bias and how they treat employees based on their angry black women comment. Yeah. Second, there's just a stigma around having a disability and people don't take it seriously. And it's compounded if you are a black woman, even doctors don't treat you the same as they would a, a white patient. The third, Abbott, let's talk about Abbott. This is a company who in 2022 had over 40 billion in revenue. This yep. is the same company that's also responsible for the baby formula crisis, if you all remember that, where they had dangerous bacteria in the baby formula. And instead of inspecting that factory and, and maintaining and repairing that factory and treating it, they were busy enriching their shareholders. They're increasing their dividends by 25% and offering a $5 billion round of stock buybacks. So the wealthy got wealthier as a result of Abbott's leadership and the workers suffered. So across the board, you could see just the worst aspects of late stage capitalism present in this company. And they're not unique, there are plenty more like that. And we have to treat it as a structural issue, both how companies can operate in this com this country and a racial equity problem. All of these need addressed. These are intersectional issues, and this is a perfect this is a perfect story to illustrate all of those. Yep, very well said. All right, we're going to stay on top of it. We got more on the other side. Indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let me read a couple of these. Comments, um, aces underscore ace. We need more angry, angry black women in this country, if you ask me. There you go. And who would not be angry over those set of circumstances? Of course. 
Um, also, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon, thank you for that, Bernie. I appreciate you so much, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon. All right, I got a question for you. What in the red state hail? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. What am I being arrested for? I I already just told you. Please call my lawyer. Please call my lawyer. Is that? Oh, that was the crap that he had that you were throwing in the other restaurant. Nuggets? Yeah. Gator nuggets? Shark bites? Can you face that way, please? All right, give me a call. What am I being arrested for? I'm not gonna repeat myself for What are my charges, please? Can I get my charges or no? I thought it was like cork. <laughs> I thought so too. I'm like, why does he have cork in his pocket? I'm going to give you one guess as to what state this is in. That's right, it's Florida. You are correct. Put it up full mass here. I don't understand. 23-year-old Anthony Michael was arrested Friday night on the charge of disorderly conduct, uh, intoxication, excuse me, according to an arrest report from the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. He was booked, later released. Authorities said that the tourist was arrested in Florida after he did some things with uh, this manatee statue. The manatee statue and then tossed gator nuggets throughout a restaurant before um, he went on, well, cursing rampage. Officials say the incident began when deputies received a call from Rick's Reef Bar on St. Pete Beach about an intoxicated person causing a disturbance. All right. So that was the reason for the uh, interaction. Um, Jordan, so am I missing something? Uh, is this a thing with some folk with nuggets in there? I don't understand, man. What what just happened? I like <laughs> the fact that he took the nuggets to go. It's like you don't ask for a box. Just nah, let's put them in my. my no, nah, save the plastic. <laughs> I'll put it in my pocket. Right. <laughs> it's such a great detail. But just you know, I I stopped drinking a few years ago, and people sometimes ask why. It's have you talked to anybody who's really drunk? They are so annoying. Like. This is just somebody who can't handle his liquor, should probably stop drinking and get help. He'll probably have a better life as a result. Listen, man, I echo your sentiment, dear brother. I'm clean and sober. I got years under my belt now, all right? But I had to stop drinking too. I was the reason you started the party. Unfortunately, also the reason you sometimes had to stop it. So if you need some help, young brother, you got to go get it uh, because the nugget in the pocket thing. That just took me away. Jordan, always yeah. a pleasure, dear brother. Have me on the show. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Well, thanks for having me. Always love being here. You can check out my podcast, The Insurgents, at insurgentspod.com. All right. Always good stuff. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. <laughs>